I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. As you all know, my wife, Amy Elliott Dunn, disappeared three days ago. She may be the face I can't forget, a trace of pleasure or regret. May be my treasure or the price I have to pay. She may be the song that summer sings. May be the chill that autumn brings. May be a hundred different things within the measure of a day. You can't go on like this. It's not good enough for you. It's not even close. She may be the reason I survive. Welcome to the Podcast. I'm Steve Mole. I'm joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. And in the absence of Carol Petz, we brought somebody back. It's James Diamond. Hello. <laughs> Try to get rid of him. Uh, and we can't, basically. He's no, like. A limpet. <laughs> yeah, you're a. Yeah, a limpet yeah. is, is a polite way of putting it, I think. <laughs> um, Olympic is, is certainly one of them. That's right. I thought I was out, <laughs> but they pulled me back in again. Exactly. Exactly. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, there's, there's not really much news this week, and we're going to be doing a, a spoiler alert for the new release of Gone Girl. Um, so we're not going to bore you with a news section this week. We're going to go straight into the quiz. Where Owen is hosting, James is being Carol, um, just like he is at weekends. And hey, hey! And the score is, I believe, Owen currently one apiece. Uh, yeah, sure, I think so. Okay. We'll sure. go with that. Nice <laughs> to see somebody is keeping score and doing their job properly. Yeah, thanks. Pleasure. Um, oh, you mean you? Oh, no, sorry. Okay. Uh, no, right, okay, I'll start with the quiz. Um, oh, hang on, before we start, I don't know if James has been listening uh, recently, but Owen, Owen, no. Owen, does his, <laughs> Owen does his quiz in a very uh, renegade, non, non-linear non fashion. He just throws out films uh, from all over the place, whereas whereas the more structured quiz master, i.e. me or you, will we'll do it in an order, <laughs> of, uh, you know, chronological order. So. Right, thank you for That's very sporting, obviously, to give me just that. In ca- just yeah. in case yeah. you think he's starting off in 2007 and you think that's their first film, and, you know. Okay. You know. Yeah. I do give you a warning of that, though. I do say it's a, not in chronological order. I like to see how obscure your film knowledge is. That's what it is. Okay. So... Right, okay, so I'll, I'll begin in a non-linear order, as, as Steve put it. Uh, in 1965, okay, <laughs> they were in Dr. G and the Bikini Machine, and then in the following year, they were in Dr. Goldfoot and the S-Bomb. Well, who, who wasn't in that? Um, fan, fan, <laughs> fantastic ensemble cast in both. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm, I, Steve, I'll have a pop. Um, Marlon Wayans. <laughs> it wasn't Marlon Wayans, no. Uh, James, 
Oh, yeah. and I feel like I'm cheating a bit here. I just got yeah. to chat to you on Twitter, but I'm going to say Vincent Price. It was Vincent Price. <laughs> well, that's just cheating, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I did forget that I've been chatting to James. Well, that, that's, <laughs> a bit that's completely not fair, is it? <laughs> I can have a look and see who else was in that, and then we can do another one, but I imagine I, we'll be here for all yeah. eternity. I, I don't know... I can really have the heart to it after that psychological blow. <laughs> I mean, is it worth, you know? Well, I'm having a look at the were, cast Were they both of... Roger Corman films out of interest? No, they weren't. Oh, were they no. not? Oh, okay. No. Um, let's have a look who else is in it, see if we can carry on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we can. Steve no, I don't. I have no idea who any of these people are, so... Oh, maybe Frankie Avalon, but I've just told you who that is now, so never mind. Moving on. That was for you, Carol. <laughs> Well done, James. You've that earned Carol the point. Carol. <laughs> I'm doing my um my trademark uh, uh bail heart hand <laughs> gesture um in celebration there. <laughs> I, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, okay. Um, that's... We can write this one off. Should we write this one off? Or do you want me... Should we have a quiz in the middle of the podcast? Shall we try again a bit later? Yeah, let's try again a bit later because that was that was blatantly not not cheating by James, but a, it's a bit kind of you know suspect. Fine. <laughs> um, okay. Stuart's, we'll we'll try again. Stuart's later. inquiry. Um, yeah. Try again <laughs> later. Um, anyway, we'll do it at the end. Do you want to do it at the end? Do it at the end. Um, okay. Anyway, so yeah, we're going to end a very brief part one on this on this low on this <laughs> underhand like, part one. Ever. Yeah, and um, into part two, we're going to have what we've been watching. So then, in what we've been watching, I uh, would we'll take a look at what we've seen in the last seven days. It aren't necessarily a new release. Uh, since James has left, Bell Critics got sent a 1930s French film in the post, which is um, no, no. I've got that's exactly what I would have been all over <laughs> when I was here as well. I kind yeah, of like the idea that the, the the email I got was Steve. Thanks for doing all that work on uh, the Americans for a National Team uh, football team documentary. As you were so good with that, and as you liked that so much, we thought this would be right up your streets. <laughs> here's, it's not exactly Netflix's algorithm. No, is it? Here's, here's a film banned by the Vichy government in France. Um, so yes, we were sent by the uh, EM Foundation uh, Le Jour Se Lève, which translates roughly as Daybreak. Um, it was the 75th anniversary of the film, so it's been restored by Studio Canal and ICO. You might have already seen Owen's fantastic review of the film and the extras on the DVD. Oh, Steve, you're making me blush. On the, on the website. <laughs> um, so, oh, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about the film before me and you talk about French cinema? <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. Um, well, the, the, the important thing to know about it is, as you've already said, parts of the film were censored by the Vichy government. Um, because, well, so parts parts of the scenes are... One of the scenes that was actually deleted entirely from the film um, has a bit of nudity in it, so they couldn't allow that. That was censored, but that has been restored as well um, oh, but, to give it the you know it's 
It's not a French film, is it, with no, an aged lady in it? And me and Owen were very happy that that had been restored. <laughs> well, obviously, because now it gives it its artistic um, yeah. credibility um, back, that's why. Yes. Of course. Um, but also, <laughs> there were two scenes that were deleted because they were deemed to be um, sort of anti-authoritarian, an- not anti-authoritarian, but anti-government, anti-police, um, anti-establishment, yeah. Um so they they've both been put back into the into the film now, and to be fair, I haven't seen it in its previous cut, so I don't know how it changes the tone. But it's fair to say, I think Steve, and you probably picked up on this as well. Um, there's quite a socialist uh, feeling to the film, isn't there? Yeah, I think those two those two um, two scenes in particular where they um, basically take the piss out of the police, they lampoon the police and the authority, uh, they give it a certain kind of atmosphere, at least. Um, yeah. They're, they're... But, I mean, it's important to, to think about the context of when it was made as well. Um, yeah, I mean, right right, the right on the kind of eve or beginnings of World War Two, the film was made. Um, yeah, precisely. So there's, a, yeah. there's, you know, a lot of, um, I suppose strange feelings, worry, panic possibly in France because they're on the on the brink of being invaded mm. by by Nazi Germany. Um, well fascism at the time as well was just was uh, rampant. A big looming scare yeah, it was rampant. And it was um very intimidating for people. The Popular Front, uh, as I believe it was called, which was a, a socialist group had basically been crushed by the fascism in France. So yeah, I have been on Wikipedia. Can you tell? So the um, <laughs> so you know there was a very sort of doom and gloom atmosphere about the place, and then you had something that was created by these artists. You know, the, the, in the twenties, um, this isn't me just looking at Wikipedia now. I do know some of what I'm talking about, but it, I'm sure James knows about it as well. In the twenties, you had the surrealist movement, mm. and you know Salvador Dali and. All those sort of films that came out of that era as well, and the art and the literature, yeah. um, they were basically being stomped on and kicked out of France because that's not what this this Vichy government wanted. It's not what it, it seemed to, to conform to anything. It was um, inspiring rebellion in its in its youth culture, so it had to go. And part of that meant films like um, Le Jour Soleil, like uh, Daybreak, would well deemed unimportant they were dangerous even so you know it's, it's great for or, or, to, a great time to be alive now to, to actually get these films back how they were meant to be seen it's just a shame it's you know 75 years yeah. too late it's, it's supposed really. to be more dangerous to the establishment wasn't the establishment the government were worried about being usurped whether it was by some kind of uprising from from the from the lower classes I suppose or from from Nazi Germany they were worried about being taken over or ousted from, from yeah from, or just as I say from whichever whichever way they were going to be ousted they didn't want to be ousted <laughs> exactly nobody likes no. being ousted <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah but I mean aside from what the film meant politically um, it was actually just really about uh, almost a love affair between a man who um falls for a girl who's got another admirer um 
and it's about that relationship how it's how it's built. I actually think it's it's a really good film away from the context. I know it's not always easy to separate context from the films, but sometimes, I mean, this is the birth of film noir, really. Um, it was it was deemed later after its release. It was it was deemed to be the beginnings of uh, the poetic realism movement. Um, in, in cinema that, that came out of France in the late thirties mm. and, and the early nineteen forties. I mean, all that. I mean, it sounds quite fancy. All that really means is um, that it's the opposite to sort of those Godardian, nouveau French, the you know the new wave French cinema where everything was meant to be ultra realistic. It yeah. was meant to be set in real- poetic realism. Just basically, is the opposite. It takes realism and turns it into something. Well, it storifies it. It's quite fantastical. Um, even though it is still based around uh, one part of it is, is mainly that it's it's based around something that's quite real, which is sort of the the love these people have for each other. But also, it's it was quite innovative in the way that the, the, it was set. And we talked a little bit about my, the way I don't do the quiz in any kind of linear or chronological order. <laughs> it starts with the end, yeah, of the film, which was which was unusual for, for films of that I, time. I, and yeah. I mean, I still. I still think it had an effect on me even the way I watched it. Did you? What did you? Yeah, to? I mean, I've not seen. Oh, I've not seen many films from that era, but I've not seen many earlier films that kind of work in that way, kind of work backwards in some ways, or in some way of putting it, or work with flashbacks. I mean, this one featured a, a fair few flashbacks, and because mm. I think the, the the filmmakers or producers, whoever. At the time, didn't think the audience would get that. They actually put title cards up, didn't they, to kind of explain yeah. this is a flashback. This is going back, you know, in time a bit to before the the end of the, you know, what happens at the start in the, the end yeah. of the film. Mm. So, it, so it was new. Yeah, it was. Well, it was. I mean, it was new in in Europe anyway. Yeah. I think they'd done a few films like that in America, but it wasn't widely used. And it, the, the the best thing about it is how Carne doesn't make it feel. Uh, I think I said in the article, it doesn't make it feel gimmicky yeah. or like it's really tacky. It it feels quite creative, quite fresh, which is quite a challenge for, for you know, watching the film now, both... these days, when we, we've seen things like Pulp Fiction or, you know, um, I think I mentioned on the podcast previously uh, a Korean film I saw called Peppermint Candy, which mm. plays the whole thing in reverse. You know, it starts with the end and each scene goes backwards to the beginning. And, 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 you know, to see yeah, to... And since Lost, every TV show is thrown flashbacks in left, right and centre. Mm. So it's not exactly a new concept anymore. So it's quite, quite kind of good uh, or impressive that this film can make flashbacks feel kind of fresh and not stale or gimmicky when it is, you know, 75 years old. Precisely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, but so it, as I say, it's it's the, it's the start really. I know it's it's called poetic realism, but it's the start really of the the wave of um, film noirs through the forties. There's a very kind of um, detectivey type feel to it, and I know it it isn't actually a crime story as such. There's no um, PIs here. There's no no one smoking cigars and drinking whiskey in shady clubs or anything like that. But the, the the feel of it is very um, snappy, very procedural, but also at the same time quite philosophical with some of the dialogue. Um, which uh, I'm trying to think of the guy's name. I wish I could remember it. I should should have done a bit more research before we started talking about it. <laughs> um, 
Jacques Vio, I think, who did uh, the dialogue for this. And there was another guy who's been credited for it now, who previously was written out of the credits. And he, w- um, and so the, the dialogue's meant to really be uh, owed to, to Vio and, and this other guy. Uh, no, yeah, it's Vio. He was the guy who was written off, I think. Prévert was the guy who who was originally credited with the dialogue. But Jacques Vio, um, completely written out of the credits because he was Jewish. I was so, gonna say, it, you know, political context at the time. Yeah, it's it's almost like early McCarthyism, isn't it? Uh, yeah, you know, go, yeah, go after the artists, write them out of history, and uh, that, that, that's Precisely. interesting as well. And again, like you say, now it is nice that we can go back and give credit to the the right people. Mm, it is, yeah. And so, like I said a bit earlier, you know, it's great that 75 years later we get to see the films how they're intended mm. and also crediting the correct people. So, I mean, other, you know, other than yeah. the film kind of itself, the way it plays out in the history of it, we spoke about, it's really worth crediting how it's been remastered and how it kind of looks, mm. how impressive it is, considering... It is 75 years old. It probably has been tucked away somewhere for a while. And they've managed to restore it to such a high quality that you can, you know, despite it being black and white, you can see kind of everything in crystal clear detail. It looks fantastic. Yeah. I suppose I'll, we, we should talk about it as well because it was a DVD that we, we got sent and it's going to be the same as what's released nationally. And there are extras on the DVD and there's one which is just a 10 to 15 minute long... Um, kind of insight really into the restoration process. Yeah. And that's quite interesting. But you get to see how, you know, how they had to fix things you wouldn't even think about, like how the picture moved. I mean, literally kind of vibrated on the screen and they had to steady it um, to touch up every individual frame. And so, yeah, I mean, to, to give them credit, they've done a fantastic job, but they always seem to, Studio Canal. So, uh, um, yeah. And, and I haven't had time to watch some of the extras on the... Uh, DVD, uh, Owen. But you've seen, you've watched a fair few of them. So what, what are they like, and, and are they worth watching? Well, I, I, yeah, I, I watched them all, um, sort of. So there's the ten to fifteen minute uh, highlight of the uh, restoration process, which was quite interesting. Um, and obviously, then it, it picks out the scenes for you that were restored and reinserted into the film that had previously been been censored. Uh, but then there's also an hour and a half long documentary, which is called Last Assault on the Popular Front, which does talk about the um, history of the film, um, about um, Mikhail Carnet, about uh, Praver, about Via, uh, yeah, uh But also, it has lots of interviews in it with people who knew them, who were around at the time. Um, Quite honestly, I managed to watch 50 minutes of it and then I stopped because <laughs> it was quite interesting to begin with and to get the context was quite good. But then it descends into almost like Abe Simpson going on these long rambling stories that have nothing <laughs> to do with anything. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, it's kind of worth watching to, to pick up some of the history. And that side of it is interesting. But the interviews themselves are a little bit disappointing. But it doesn't take anything away from the film. It's still definitely a film that you should should see at some point. Anyone who's got any in- interest in the history of cinema or European cinema or pre-war films, it's 
it, it's it's fantastic. I really, really enjoyed it. And I'm not saying that because I got it for free. I did get some other free DVDs every so often, and occasionally I, I rank them as crap if they're crap. But this genuinely was brilliant. I really enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, I also really enjoyed it. And um, considering I am the, the probably the film layman of the podcast, <laughs> it's uh, certainly worth, um, you know, for coming from me, it's kind of a different kind of phrase, but it certainly means it's worth watching. Um, so yeah, exactly. I seem to remember on a podcast a year ago, or perhaps two years ago, where we t- took the piss out of you for not watching. Was it black and white films or films with I subtitles? Think it, I think I, it was I, subtitle well, films. I have seen black and white films before. I, do, do I, I, for some reason, I remember it being in my head. Steve was never going to bother going to watch Citizen Kane. Was it, is yeah, that, that was, my remembering that, was that very correctly? true, and I, I, yeah, was, <laughs> I still maintain that. Now. He's just not going to bother. No, I don't. I don't. I don't get the the desire to see it. Basically, the more it's brilliant. the more people that tell me to watch it, the less likely I'm still going to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> I, no, I get. I get that. Like a like a petulant well. child. <laughs> yeah, I suppose people do tend to ram those kind of films down your throat yeah. a little bit and tell you. Don't know what you're talking about till you've seen it, kind of thing. But yeah, yeah. So yeah, so well, in a very patronising way, you've proved your critics wrong there, oh, Steve. Yeah. You've proved me, James, and Jerry wrong in watching yep, this. Exactly, and enjoying it. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so yeah, also thanks to to Keith at the M Foundation for providing us with the um, the DVD to to review for involving us with that, um, like they did with um, Next Girl Wins previously. Um, Owen, what else have you seen this week? Complete opposite to, to that, really. So this is quite intellectual, slow-moving uh, drama from France from the 1930s. So I went and watched a film called A Bucket of Blood. <laughs> uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's Romantic quite, quite comedy, different. yeah? It's a, <laughs> it is a comedy, actually. Um, it's, it's a satire of the sort of beat generation. It's from 1950s. 1959 by Roger Corman, um, who I only, I only really discovered this past week because the only film of his I'd previously seen was The Terror, and the only other one I knew that he made was The Pit and the Pendulum, okay. which I'd never seen, which I know you, you talked about in your, one of your One of my decade decades, films, yeah, I think it was yeah. 1960 actually, wasn't it, or 61, I can't it's remember. 61, yeah. I think it is. Um which I've also been and revisited this week because I watched The Mask of the Red Death, okay. which stars Vincent Price. Yep. It's me choosing him as well. I think there you go. Um, so I watched uh, The Mask of the Red Death in preparation for doing the 1964 decade in yeah. article. It was brilliant. I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. So I decided, well, I'll look and see what other Roger Corman films are about, what's on Netflix, what's on... Amazon. I thought, well, I'll just have a quick rummage through my horror DVDs, and mm. I happened to find one of these collections, you know, that's got three films. Oh on yeah, it. and uh, one I'd only really bought because White Zombie was on it, and there it was, a bucket of blood. It's um, directed by, I say, Roger Corman. Uh, Vincent Price isn't in it, but uh, Dick Miller is. Dick Miller plays the main character in it, uh, Walter, who is um, he works in a bar. Uh, he's really treated quite badly by these artists, these these beatnik artists, and he just aspires to be like them, really. That's all he wants. He just wants their adoration. He wants to be seen in the same scenes and social circles as them. Uh, he wants to be friends with them. 
But they just kind of laugh at him and and treat him badly. Until he accidentally kills his neighbour's cat, covers it in plaster, and calls it Dead Cat. And it's <laughs> treated like this masterpiece by these... Um, these beat guys who the film just lampoons through the whole the whole runtime. It just takes a piss out of them and the way they kind of idolise each other. And you know the bit in Safe Park where uh, the smug. Was yes. It? Yeah. yeah. The... And they just love the smell of their own farts. Yeah. It's basically basically they're like that, uh, or I suppose kind of like hipsters. You know, if you know the beat generation, I don't need to explain that. Yeah. So um, so it's brilliant, and it just kind of. Get, he gets more and more into it. So as they sort of demand better things from him, um, the kill, the, he goes on to kill different people, sort of accidentally. <laughs> then gradually it gets darker and darker as he gets more into this thing. But it, it is absolutely fantastic. It was really funny. Um, Dick Miller is brilliant in it. Um, the gags about the pop culture of the time, I kind of feared that perhaps they weren't going to work. Because you know, sometimes you watch these old films and it just doesn't. Sometimes they just don't really have any um, points to, mm. of reference anymore. Yeah. There's just nothing you, you can get. But it's it's just so spot on. It's so fantastic. Yeah, really, really good film. It's only about sixty five minutes long, sixty five, seventy minutes, something like that. So if you can get hold of it anywhere, I definitely recommend it. It's it's slightly dated and it is a little bit hammy at times. But it's so fun. It's just brilliant. I, yeah, one of my favourite films that I've seen um, recently. Oh, brilliant! Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's because I, I know I, I've seen more uh, Roger Corman than you had up until this week. You've probably overtaken mm-hmm. me now. That I've watched the sort of seven or yeah, eight exactly. times. <laughs> um, but yeah. I, I kind of got introduced to Roger Corman when I watched Death Race. Um, okay. the original Death Race 2000, which yeah. is, cause he's been, if you look on, uh, IMDb, he's been involved in about 400 films Loads, in terms of yeah. producing, writing, but he's directed about 50, 60, I think. It's still Something a ridiculous like amount. Um, but yeah, Death Race 2000, which early appearance from Sylvester Stallone, um, mm-hmm. Death Race 2000 is, one of those, one of those rare films which is so bad that it's good. I'm not usually a fan of that phrase, but genuinely, it's ridiculously entertaining <laughs> despite being, on the yeah. face of it, a terrible film. Uh, the Pit and the Pendulum is actually just a brilliant film with uh, Vincent Price in. It did, the last twenty minutes of that is, yeah. is oh, for me that is Vincent Price. In the last twenty minutes of Vincent Price in the Pit and the Pendulum is just utterly incredible. Um, it, it is, yeah. I mean that final scene as well, brilliant. Yeah. Sort of gag if you like yes. very dark black yeah yeah oh joke definitely but... yeah um fantastic uh yeah he's still making films as well he makes loads of these asylum style films about giant crocker gator or yeah oh yeah shark to or something yeah he still makes films and um i think i spoke about uh corman's world which is a great little documentary that i need to post to you owen so you can watch it um yes but when you like look at the work of roger corman it's weird because Although there aren't many films that would be in the consciousness of most kind of normal cinema goers, he hasn't mm-hmm. had like this one big breakout hit. They've made, you know, he's made lots of films, like the Vincent Price ones in the sixties and uh, yeah, things like that had a reasonable popularity at the time, but not many things which have lasted and have crossed over into mainstream 
cinema culture. Not like the way that some kind of cult directors like John Carpenter, you know, eventually made Halloween and the thing and, you know, things mm. like, he never really had that big success. But at the same time, you look at the people that he's influenced and modern cinema wouldn't be the same without Roger Corman. It's a real, he never quite had that thing himself, but he just created so many careers. When you watch um, <coughs> Corman's world, you just realize he gave the first opportunity to so many people. He gave that first opportunity to Sylvester Stallone. Um, he, he really, Jack Nicholson, Jack Nicholson, his, uh, would, proteges exactly. Or... And really interesting. Jack, he, he could have made easy rider. Um, but Jack Nicholson wanted paying more. He offered Jack Nicholson the script for what was scale rate back then. Jack Nicholson was like, no, I've been in so many <laughs> films, pay me properly. And he refused to. So Jack Nicholson took, uh, took it off to, um, uh, oh, what's his name? Guy's in it. Well, they're Dennis Hopper and, uh, I've had a complete blank there. The other guy that's in Easy Rider, that's terrible, isn't it? Um, he was, he was also in Race with the Devil. What's his name? Fonda. Peter Fonda. Yes, Peter Fonda. Um, so they went off and made it themselves, kind of with Roger Corman's blessing a little bit, but without his involvement. But Ron Howard's first film that he directed was a Roger Corman production, Grand Theft Auto. Um, mm. There was a number of other... Uh, Peter Bogdanovich, his first uh, opportunity was there. Um, in fact, even... Um, this, um, do you know what? My brain has completely gone. Uh, Scorsese. Scorsese's first film was a Roger Corman film. And you just, like, so realised that he, he spotted talent so well and gave people the opportunity to, to go and make films. And, and that's utterly incredible about his work. So, yeah, if you get a chance to watch Corman's World, definitely watch it. And it will get you wanting to watch more of his films as well, definitely. I'm really pleased that you've yeah. picked up on that. Because I'll be honest, Owen, they feel kind of, not all of them, but, Getting into Roger Corman's work feels kind of tailor-made for you. <laughs> it does, mate. It does, mate. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I don't take offence to that. Good. Um, <laughs> it's it's meant with love. Yeah, it is meant with love. Although I did watch Creature from the Haunted Sea this week, and that wasn't very good. No. But the other films that I've seen of his, I've sort if of, you've been I've involved in four hundred films, there's going to be a, bit of a dodgy hit. There's going to be a few that are a bit, <laughs> yeah, a few stinkers in there. But um, yeah, no. So bucket a bucket of blood, though. Yeah. I recommend. So you'd probably give that one a go then. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and James, what have you seen? Uh, yeah, this week I saw, uh, a new film on Netflix. It's a Netflix original, uh, a new documentary called Print the Legend. I don't know if either of you have heard about this. No. No, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, it's, yeah, it's a Netflix original. It's been bought by Netflix. It had a very, very well received premiere at South by Southwest. And it's a documentary which is on its surface a story about the next big technological revolution in America and therefore the rest of the world in everyone's homes, and that's 3D printing. Um, what's great, though, is, uh, and what elevates this documentary above, let's say, an extended episode of The Gadget Show or um, or if you're old like me, Tomorrow's World, um, <laughs> is that it doesn't actually focus too much on the, the technology. There's a, There's a really good... 15 minute opening sequence where it does explain what 3D printing is for old duffers like me. And I actually work in kind of technology in a sense, uh, you know, uh, schools curriculums and things like that. And he, up until now, I've never, I'm, I've known what 3D printing is, but I've never quite got my head around it. I haven't been able to see it in front of my eyes and I didn't quite get 
how it would be any good. Actually, watching this documentary, A, gives you a really good understanding of what an incredible technology it is, uh, but B, also yeah, how it can benefit society. And that's that's part of this documentary, but it, it's it's bigger than that and it's deeper than that. And actually, well, I'd say it's actually about the the tech startup industry and the American dream. Um, the film focuses mainly on two different companies and their apparent rivalry. How much of this is generated by the fact that it's a documentary? It's always, you never quite, you can never quite tell uh, with some of these documentaries. I mean, um, the King of Kong documentary, for example. Mm sets up a brilliant rivalry which when you look into it isn't actually that much of a rivalry but it works really great on film and maybe there's an element of this going on that said the interviews do tend to uh, and there's quite a lot of talking head interviews in there do tend to confirm what's going on here so on one hand you've got uh, MakerBot led by a man called Bree Pretis who is a very media savvy CEO he's a hero of the maker movement and he helped found a company that is at the forefront of consumer 3D printing. His company is still very tiny compared to the industrial giants, but this is the first company that decided to try and put 3D printers in people's homes. Um, and then the doc uh, kind of creates a bit of a rivalry with an even smaller and far more ramshackle startup uh, by the name of Formlabs, led by the very shy and awkward Max Lebowski. So... You've already got these two very different characters with slightly different companies. You can see where the narrative comes there. And what follows is a tense and often actually very surprising portrayal of the two very different journeys that the company's taking, pursuing their dreams, pursuing their ideals. It reminded me a lot of Indie Game, the movie. Uh, I don't know if either of you have seen that. That's on, that's on Netflix. I can highly recommend that as well, which is about the kind of very small teams and sometimes single people who are creating video games in their own bedrooms and getting them up onto Xbox Live, PlayStation Network and Steam. That's also a great documentary about this American dream tech startup industry. Uh, and so it felt, it reminded me a lot of that. And I mean, that's a compliment in a very good way. But also there's a bit of the, the social network kind of backstabbing betrayal and intrigues. And that's really interesting because Formlabs set up a Kickstarter which raised $2 million. So, you know, talking some serious money being involved here and you watch the journey from it being three or four best friends who create something in their garage and then they get bigger and more people get involved and suddenly they've got 80 people and they've got a big factory in Manhattan and you, you, you genuinely watch the journey from being friends to being... CEOs and corporate people and then seeing the the decisions that they have to make and the fallouts it's it's, it's my kind of reality TV you, know, you can shove your apprentice and uh, and your your towie and your X factor yeah this is for me is, is what reality TV is about it's about getting out there and showing a, a story of real people and it's great it doesn't get too bogged down in becoming a sales pitch for either the companies or the technology very open there's a lot of access to both companies which is really helpful um, do you know what? it's actually quite inspirational in places as well you get the passion that these people have for the technology um but like i say there are times when they need to make tough decisions maybe give up a little bit of their ideals or even worse their soul to uh and that comes across in the screen at times in an almost heartbreaking way it's, it's quite an emotional film in that sense also, it's got some great minor players as well. So it's not just about these two companies, although they form the backbone. 
the great minor players. There's the 3DS system CEO. Now, 3DS are the big industrial mega company. They've got a very charismatic CEO called Avi Reichenstahl. His company gets involved in a patent dispute with one of the companies. And then you've got Cody Wilson, who is a self-styled crypto anarchist and gun rights activist. And if you do know anything about 3D printing, you probably know that there's been a lot of talk about the fact that you could potentially 3D print a gun. So you could print your own gun at home using uh, designs that you found on the internet for a few dollars worth of plastic. And he does that. Um, creates this gun called The Liberator. He is so kind of Fox News. It's He's quite a young man as well. He's kind of mid-twenties at the most. Um, also very intelligent. Um, but at the same time absolutely terrifying. And there's some scenes with him talking to Glenn Beck. Uh, and even Glenn Beck isn't sure what to make of him. And those of you who know American talk show host Glenn Beck is a complete right-wing conspiracy nut. And even he's going, I don't know if you're a hero or a villain. So this is a very interesting character that you see. And he's talking about the fact that uh, his his whole thing is if the police can have it and if the army can have it, then I as a citizen should have the right to have it. That's kind of his very, very extreme libertarian streak. So, but an interesting debate there about the fact that if he creates a blueprint and shares it on the internet, you know, uh, who, who has the right to take that down? It, uh, so the great thing about the documentary is it doesn't just talk about um, there's this great technology that means you can make toys at home and stuff like that. It's actually talking about the the potential ramifications of this technology being in the hands of everyone. So it's, it's very intelligent documentary in that way. Um, I'd, I'd recommend it to anyone with interest in new technologies, but also anyone who's just interested in looking at tech startup industry uh, and the personalities that are either forged or crushed in the process of becoming a... There's a lot of people that kind of just disappear by the wayside as it goes along. The spirit of Steve Jobs um, <clears throat> hangs very large over this film, I think. But in an odd way, because everyone in the tech industry talks about him, yet they recognise his genius. But almost all of them, to a man, say that they're determined not to be as big an arsehole as he is. It's a really interesting... Cause they recognise his genius, but also they don't want to be this hugely unpopular person that he apparently was to the people who worked with him unfortunately some don't achieve that uh, and that's that's where the film is at its most interesting for me really recommend it it's uh it's on net it's on all netflix because it's a netflix original um and it, it's a really really worthwhile way to spend 90 minutes yeah doing a bit of edutainment sounds good does it make, uh, does the documentary explore the idea that anti-piracy videos are going to have to change now? People can actually download cards. <laughs> it doesn't actually, but it's a really <laughs> good point. And yeah, but what is great? You're exactly right. If you can download something, has it? Have you actually stolen anything? Is it? It mm. it will uh, cause a debate there. Uh, again, there is a debate in the documentary about IP. Uh, intellectual property but it's more about the technology used in the printers but you're exactly right um it, it, it's another way in which people can steal an idea and share an idea yeah. depending on which way it's a very it. cynical thing to talk about but it, it's true isn't it i mean if people can steal it they'll steal it yeah that's unfortunate um cynical worldview yeah. of mine on on show there but but if people can steal it they'll steal it so People can download a car, as I think someone in America has done recently, have downloaded the and printed, yeah. 3D printed a 
car, or at least parts for yeah. a vehicle. I can't remember. So, yeah, no, I'd be interested to, to watch the documentary. Yeah, anyway. and yeah, yeah, Cody Wilson did actually build his 3D. It worked. He he put it up on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, he he created a gun just printed from plastic at home. And yeah, the the fact is that that is a debate that we need to have because if the technology is there all of a sudden, yeah, it's it. I, it's, and what's great is the documentary doesn't really judge one way or the other. It does say that yeah. we need that we need to have this conversation because this is out there now, and that's why I think it's it, it's really that's why I liked it is it didn't just say oh aren't three D printers great? It did say this is going to change society in a number of ways, and we need to be prepared for that. It feels like it's going to be the next big sort of technological social revolution. Yeah. So, and I didn't get that until I watched it because I was like, yeah, why, why would you want to print plastic things at home? But actually having seen it and you've seen some of the videos around it about children who are born without fingers and they can print their own robot mm-hmm. hand at home. And it was just like, wow, that's actually yeah. pretty damn incredible. Um, exactly. Uh, you know, yeah, prosthetic limbs could just be done in 10 minutes. You get a design, go to your hospital, they can print it in 10 minutes for you. Yeah, these kind of things, you think, mm-hmm. see, that can change. And it's talking about industry. Um, the fact is, little things at home that you've got to go out to a DIY store and buy, yeah, you could print that at home in five minutes. Yeah, it actually said the means of production are being put into people's homes rather than in factories. And Oh, yeah, it's just... Um, I mean, it's, it's, it seems like a conspiracy when you talk about it, but it could changed the whole economy yeah. of countries so yeah i mean i'm I'm all for it though i think it should yeah. it should be made available decentralization yeah exactly and yeah. it's an interesting way in the fact that you think about how we we used to make things in this country for example uh mm. and then now it's other countries elsewhere in the world which pay lower wages globalization everything that make things actually is a way that we can make things in this country but it won't be in big centralized it will be people in their own houses making mm. things and that's that's a really interesting idea uh, and I, I i'm i'm excited uh, of what that might do but how yeah. now's the time to buy shares in plastics but, yes but how long before <laughs> before terrorists can download a nuke onto a 3d printer so they're, they're... Well, I don't think you can download plutonium. <coughs> well, yeah. So, well, they can make a gun. <laughs> so, you know, you never know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think the plutonium's the difficult, but they might be able to make the casing. But I still think the plutonium's well, going to be a tough one to get. Yeah, you never know. Science, <laughs> yeah. bitch. They'll be downloading unobtainium yeah. next. Yes. Uh, anyway, we'll end uh, what we've been watching there and uh, move on. Our review of Gone Girl. So, time for our new release review uh, for this week, and it is Gone Girl starring Ben Affleck and uh, Rosalind Pike. Here is a clip. Amy, who are you? A, I'm an award winning scrimshander. B, I'm a moderately influential warlord. C, I write personality quizzes for magazines. Okay. Well, your hands are far too delicate for real scrimshaw work. And I happen to be a charter subscriber to Midling Warlord Weekly, so I'd recognize you. I'm going to go with C. And you? Who are you? I'm the guy to save you from all this awesomeness. Okay, so that was a clip of Gone Girl. 
Um, before we start reviewing it, a couple of, couple of points really. One, there will be a spoiler alert following this uh, review, so obviously join us for that if you've seen the film and want to listen to our discussion about it in more depth. Um, obviously don't listen to that bit, Matt Lambert, you don't want the film ruined <laughs> for you. Anytime we do spoiler alert, I mention him, don't I? It's, it's yeah. his own downfall. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, so, yes, uh, and the other point really is um, none of us have read the book, have we, before seeing this film? No, no but I've had I've had quite an in-depth conversation with my wife who has read the book but hasn't been able to see the film yet. Um, so, so, so was that pre-film or post-film? Uh, post-film, so, post-film. So none of us had any real prior knowledge. Other, Not going, other no, I hadn't, I hadn't even seen no, the trailer I, before. I, I think I've in, seen the trailer once another you know while watching another film i think i saw the trailer about a hundred times it seemed to be on every time i went to the cinema for two months to the point that i thought i now know the entire story i only saw it i think Um, i only saw it once which was enough to make me interested in the film but i kind of by the time i saw the film forgotten what was in the trailer okay uh without it turning into a spoiler i'm very glad that the trailer doesn't reveal the entire story so it, it was a little bit annoying because I thought it did prior to seeing the film, but it doesn't. So, well done, <laughs> people who are trying to market films for a change. So, yeah, it's about time we had a trailer which didn't give away absolutely everything. Yeah, fair play. Yeah, and actually, yeah, I, it kind of needed for a film like this as well. Yeah, mm. um, I mean, the film obviously starts with Ben Affleck's character uh, going out for the day, coming home, finding his wife has gone missing in suspicious circumstances um, and you know, obviously he contacts the police uh, and the film starts from there and he's kind of, what seems like a, a non-plus reaction to the whole thing really Yeah, well the whole film is playing on, well it plays on the fact that he could potentially be the killer, you know it's not unheard of for the person mm. in situations like, le- like these to have been killed yeah. by someone they knew so automatically he becomes the prime suspect um and that's partly what the film tries to deal with as well is the media's reaction i think that yeah it's got a lot to say about the media reaction to cases like this especially the american media reaction because obviously this kind of thing is more prevalent in american society uh especially the the wall-to-wall news the chat show the the talk show hosts you know, mm-hmm. basically, in in our in this country, there are contempt of court laws and things like that. You could not say anything, but in America, they can pretty much say whatever they like about people exactly. uh, who haven't even been formally charged of a crime yet, kind of thing. So it's a really, really interesting look at that kind of media circus. I suppose the film's really told from three points of view, isn't it? His his point of view, her point of view, and what actually happened. Not what actually happened. It's not story but you know what mm. what really happened rather than taking both their points of view which are uh, twisted by their own thoughts and opinions and the other well yeah the other kind of theme big theme is, is about marriage um yeah uh and you know trust relationships and like you say people's viewpoints of uh of the same event uh you know being different or uh, you know, various. It, it's it's very much a. It's I, I wouldn't say it's labyrinthine. It's not that 
kind of down the rabbit hole, but it is a film which um, has a number of kind of twists and turns and takes you one way, takes you another way. Uh, and I enjoyed that. I very, very much enjoyed it. It was, it's very much a David Fincher film in the way it looks, uh, in the way it feels. It, it had a, for me, it had a stamp of quality, uh, compared to other films of this ilk. This felt better put together. Um, the performances were better, right down to people who only had one or two lines, but, you know, they were really good. They were really well done. Apparently, Finch had kind of had an average of 50 takes per scene or something like that. So, you know, real kind of perfectionist at work there. And, and visually and stylistically, it reminded me a lot of House of Cards, which David Fincher was very involved with. David Fincher got the recent Netflix, uh, remake of House of Cards put together. And he was one of the, and actually it had that kind of deep, dirty, cynical, vibe run same vibe that was running through house of cards which i also really enjoyed yeah i haven't seen house of cards but um, i know exactly what you're talking about um i mean you you spot on as well in saying that, that there aren't really any thrillers that come out that are as that are anything like this mm. anymore you know what it reminded me of to start with was prisoners from last year i've still not seen that yet actually Okay, so the, the tone of that was quite similar in the sense that it's a mystery. It's someone who's accused of something. Have they done it? Have they not? It kind of drip feeds you bits mm-hmm. of information. But all, all the while, it's trying to make a point about something else. Uh, actually, both films kind of go into the the topic or the area of um, witch hunts. Okay, yeah. And how they come about and stuff. So there's, a, there's that aspect to it as well. But I just think it's a much more sophisticated thriller mm. particularly the first hour the first hour of gone girl i was really into it i thought it was one of the best films i'd seen so far this year um but i also think i mean what else has come out this year that it could be compared to maybe before i go to sleep perhaps yeah and, and you look at something like that it's just about 10 yeah, levels no above. exactly right in fact, uh, that first hour uh, the film one of the films it really reminded me of was the hunt actually uh, like you said about witch hunts oh yeah uh, again around a, a community potentially turning on someone and you know and it was you know you're right it, it's excellent ben affleck absolutely brilliant in this um Best performance I think I've ever seen from him. Actually, uh, I, I, I don't think I could disagree with that. Actually, he plays the kind of mm-hmm. he does play a down to earth kind of average Joe, doesn't he? Yeah. Really well in this, but his yeah. character flaws very well realised, a really well rounded character. Um, and I, I, I know you disagree with me on this, but I, but I thought Rosamund Pike was brilliant as well. Uh, and most people do, although I've seen a few people not yeah. terribly keen on her in this. I thought she was I think outstanding. It's because it's, I think part of it is she's, uh, well, obviously an actress who's got quite a big role mm. in a film of this caliber. Yeah. And so automatically a lot of um, the kind, not, I'm not saying this is true of everybody, mm. but I think part, part of the reputation that's coming out of her performance is she was really good because she was in a really good film. Right, yeah. That's not just like, I'm not trying to do it down or no. anything. I didn't, you're right, I didn't particularly like her in, in this. 
I think there's just something about her, her performances. I mean, I liked her in an education. Mm. She was all right in an, educa- an education. But in other stuff I've seen, Jack Reacher in particular, she was poorly in it. Yeah. And I know, again, it's not really comparable. Yeah. <laughs> but in this, I think she was not that great either. I thought she was, I uh, thought she, something I thought she about... was good, but she wasn't great. I'll see. I'll find that interesting. Yeah, that's that's fair. I mean, I, I mean, I don't I, think she she wasn't as good as Affleck. Put it that way. <clears throat> she was completely outshined by Ben Affleck. I think. I'd, 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 I I would disagree with that. It's in certain scenes, particularly. But then again, I think, and maybe this is something we talk about more in spoiler alert. But I think a lot of this comes from the history, uh, the, the history of this kind of film, this kind of genre, and actually, I, I think she did. I think she did some absolutely brilliant work with a very, very difficult character, especially mm. during parts of the film where she's not really there. But yeah, you know, it, 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 I, I, I'm really impressed. I was really impressed by her, and probably impressed by her because I haven't been hugely impressed in the past. Uh, maybe that is a little awesome. bit of it as well. Uh, yeah, I, I thought in Jack Reacher. I think I said. I think when we reviewed Jack Reacher, I thought she's alright but in that kind of well there's a woman that's turned up to play that role could have been anyone type way yeah, you, I, yeah. I know you thought she was a lot worse than that actually as well. um, <laughs> she just does a lot of gasping yeah. I can't stand the gasping in the, she does in the world's end I thought she was you know, perfectly adequate in a film which didn't really write her a particular particularly brilliant mm. role anyway so you know uh, I, I don't remember having seen her in too much else but she's you're right, she's never kind of made me sit there and go, oh, that was very good. But she did in this one. Um, and another one that really surprised me, actually, Tyler Perry, who Tyler Perry was actually quite good in. Maybe it's because of his character, who is a smartly arrogant so-and-so. Um, although what I found really interesting, but also an app completely damning indictment of Tyler Perry's place in Hollywood, uh, apparently he signed on without knowing who David Fincher is. He knew that the director was called David Fincher, had no idea who he was. Wow. Yeah, and you just, this is a man who is one of the most powerful black men in Hollywood. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently, uh, his agent didn't tell him how popular the book was or who David Fincher was. Because apparently he wouldn't have signed on because of the pressure would have been too much. He, oh, really? he just signed on because his agent agent told him he said this part sounded quite good. Uh, the agent didn't tell him who David Fincher was. He's like, now I realise that he's done all these incredible films. But he didn't know, he genuinely didn't know who David Fincher was. That, I just find that incredible. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that, is, that is pretty impressive to be that ignorant <laughs> in a, an industry, a profession that you work yeah, in. That's pretty it's spectacular. Just bizarre. A couple of other parts. Uh, Brilliant, again, brilliant soundtrack, I thought, from Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Which, reading about, apparently David Fincher was like a dentist or somewhere. He was some like in some sterile waiting room. And he wanted the music that they had there, essentially. This idea that there's music which is trying to put you at ease in a pretty weird and horrible situation. That, I think they captured that really, really well, actually. Um so I, I love the soundtrack, and I was really concerned when I saw it was a two and a half hour film. It did, it did um, feel a bit long to yes. me. It could have done with twenty, well, 20 from, minutes, half an hour maybe cut out. It did, 
For once, I, I'm not going to complain about the length of the film. I thought it was well paced. The only issue I had was that the end was a bit like Return of the King, and that I think there were about four or five bits where I thought it was going to end, and then it carried on. I, was bit, I think <laughs> I think just after kind of about two thirds of the way through the film, I just thought does it drag a little bit? Not too much, but just a bit where I was thinking. They could hurry this up a bit here. Not like hurry up and finish, but like they could really yeah. hurry this up a bit. And it, it did start to drag a tiny bit. Um, but it's kind of just being really picky there. Yeah, I thought the pacing was pretty good, actually. Mm. Um, I mean, it felt like you were in the cinema for 150 minutes. Yeah. But actually... Sometimes that's not a bad thing, It was quite an enjoyable 150 yeah. minutes. No, not, not, not always, no. So that was... Um, yeah, it did put me off slightly beforehand because I thought if the problem with long films, obviously, is if within the first ten minutes, if you're not on board with it, yeah, it's just boring you to tears. It's a long time to be sat still. Um, but it, it was, it was like I said, paced really well. Uh, the characters were all built up um, in a way that wasn't sort of overpowering the story, and the story wasn't overpowering the characters. It was a nice little blend between the two. Mm. Um, it was yeah, just developed really well. I, I was I was happy to sit there for the hundred and fifty minutes, and the stunned silence at the end. Yeah, when everyone in the cinema just sort of stood up and left. Yeah, there uh, there were a couple of moments in the film where there was a cinema physically recoiled, and yeah, that would that I've not been in a cinema like that for a long time, and that was really really interesting. Um, it's brilliant being in t- in the cinema with films like this, where you're sat next to some a couple like I was, who who weren't elderly, mm. but they were you know past middle age, and they were just clearly they don't go to the cinema very yeah. often. This was their big cinema trip, yeah. and just the perfect reactions for every Fantastic. scene. It was brilliant. Yeah, I love. I had that with um, um, Wolf of Wall Street, uh, kind of retired couple <laughs> next to me, and yeah, three hours of Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> that was their that was their trip to cinema because you know. They'd heard it was that lovely Leonardo DiCaprio or something like that. <laughs> the, the, part of the problem with going to the cinema for a film like this is if, if it's quite busy, the plot is quite intricate in places. And there are pe- there are people sort of sat around you going, <laughs> yeah. what's going on here? Who's that? Why don't you yeah, that? I did hear a couple of up. mumblings. <laughs> Shut the fuck yeah. up. <laughs> but yeah, you do get that kind of, you hear sort of a yeah. whisper going, something's going on now. But I thought I thought he was oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. hang on, but, yeah. oh, hang on, isn't he? Oh, no, uh, why why yeah, are we seeing right. this bit again now? And so, <laughs> yeah. yeah, keep quiet. It will explain itself, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but overall, I think we yeah. all liked it. I yeah. I liked it a lot. Yeah. I think I liked it more yeah. than you two. Um, I think parts of it are stupid. <laughs> I mean, to pull it bluntly, it's stupid, e- ridiculous, and yes. stupid. Yes, we'll come on to that in. Spoiler alert! Yeah. But there are some, there's some dumb bits. Um, oh no! Uh, really, no, I really I think bits. I think that's a bit harsh. I I will just say right now, <laughs> I think that's a bit harsh because dumb suggests um, no thinking at all. All right, uh, no thinking at all. Yeah. No, no, I, I think that's because that. I I all I will say, and we'll talk about this in spoiler alert. I think I think it still fits together perfectly. It, it's. I don't think there's. I don't think there's a plot. I I couldn't see a plot hole there at all. I think it it might have made it might have stretched your believability in terms of a situation. But I I think dumb is a harsh word. Well, I think part. Some people, I've seen reviews where people have claimed that um, there have been plot holes, and what they've 
talked about as plot holes is basically well the director didn't explain this well that's not a plot yeah. hole the plot hole is that something has happened it doesn't make yeah, sense it's, it's a fair criticism if, if enough people don't get what a director intended to convey that's a fair criticism to, I think precisely but to sort of say that well why is this happening that's a plot hole that's no, not a plot no. hole I'm afraid a plot Sorry, hole is where wrong. something point that's pointed out that is obvious makes no sense in the internal logic of the film and, yeah. and it, Anyway, uh, that is yeah. that brings to a close our, our main part of the review on Crime Girl. Um, just a couple of quick things before we go on to spoiler alert. Um, mainly uh, recommendations and the, the the new version of this week's quiz. Uh, so <laughs> yes, the revamp. So yes, recommendations then for the week. I'm going to recommend as the new series, the fifth series, is starting back by the time this podcast will have come out. Um, on Netflix, most regions you can watch The Walking Dead. Very good. Uh, most of you have probably heard of it. If you haven't, give it a watch. I think it's. There are some parts in series two and three that do drag a bit. Um, series two is where I gave up, um, and I keep. But people have told me I should have pushed through. Season, se- season four is very good. Uh, yeah. Season three mm-hmm. has got very good bits. I, th- I think there's there's certain bits in season two and three. Where you're kind of better off watching them in a block on Netflix rather than kind of watching them weekly and episodically. Like what? Yeah. Um, but anyway, get get that watched uh, or rewatched in time for season five coming out. Also, if you can, uh, Star Wars Rebels, the first uh, Disney thing of Star Wars, it's been out, um, and that's well, well you know, for, it's a kids TV program, obviously, but it's Star Wars, so I watched it. That was quite good. You know, worth worth seeking out if you're a Star mm. Wars fan. Um, James, um, I'm gonna be Maverick here. I'm gonna I'm gonna be Owen this week and be hugely <laughs> Maverick. Go against. I'm actually gonna recommend a game, um, uh, but it has a film related element to it. There, uh, it came out today. Uh, the new game available on all the current gen, all the previous gen, the PC, everything. Alien Isolation. Um, for those of you who don't know about it, it's the first real video game which uses because there have been loads of alien video games over the years but this one uses alien as its template rather than the kind of james cameron action shoot 'em up of aliens uh, as its template you play uh, amanda ripley the daughter of ellen ripley 20 years later going in search of her mum on a, a near abandoned shanty town of a space station where the the xenomorph has made its home and you the great thing about this game, I've played a bit tonight, and I played it at EGX Games uh, Expo using the Oculus Rift virtual reality, which is the most pants-stainingly terrifying experience I've ever had playing a game. I was in this glass room with people around watching, and I put on the headset, and I couldn't hear and I couldn't hear or see anything apart from being in the game. And you move your head around, and you're looking around an abandoned space station, and I'm walking around and all of a sudden something drops behind me and I hear the hiss and I genuinely <laughs> screamed in the middle of Earl's Court in front of all these people like a fucking girl. Uh, like that, because it terror... And then you see this thing come through your stomach uh, as the alien kills you. Absolutely terrifying. The game itself is different to all the alien games in the fact that you cannot kill the alien. You, it is a 20-hour-long campaign, apparently, where you essentially hide from an alien on a spaceship as it terrifies the living crap out of you. It's got also the original cast of Alien came back to provide some voices because there's some flashbacks. There's a couple of downloadable 
um, missions where you can play as Ripley, you can play as Dallas as well. Um, from uh, scenes from the original film, you can live out uh, on the computer. I, I'm I've played a little bit already tonight, and it it just looks so good. It looks so much like the original Alien films. Really good fun. So if you're into your games at all and your scary survival horror and stuff, that's what I'm recommending. It's out in shops right now. Okay, I'm Owen. Okay, I'm I'm going to recommend a film, not a game, which is on. <laughs> although it, that Alien Isolation game sounds fantastic. I've seen trailers for it, and I'm I've got a PS4, but I'm still considering whether or not it's worth it. But the film I'm going to recommend instead. Um, is uh, it's on film four on Monday evening or Tuesday Tuesday morning, uh, five to one in the morning. Uh, it's Serpico. Oh, nice! Uh, Sidney Lumet, um, Al Pacino film, fantastic, brilliant film. Made into my decade in film choices it, because it's it's just it deserves it. Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant, classic film. Okay, and should we have another quick go at the quiz then, Owen? Do you want another quick go of the yeah. quiz? Okay, give you another chance. Yeah, okay. Um, I'll make it a little bit easier as well, and I'll only pick films from the last ten years okay. that they've been in. Who's that? But I'm still not going to go in any. No, okay, still mixed up. Yeah, just within the last ten years. All right. So uh, let's go for 2005 and Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. Peter Serenevanishtovich. It's no, not he, Peter Serenevanishtovich. Was he not in that one? Was he not in no. that one? Oh, okay. Oh. Um, Steve. Hayden yeah. Christensen. It's not Hayden Christensen either. Okay. No. All right. Okay. So moving on. Uh, still in 2005, uh, they were in Michael Bay's Steve. The Island. You and Mc- yeah. McGregor. You and McGregor, it Damn is. It. There we are. There you go. You and McGregor and his awful accent. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Carol. <laughs> Carol's going to come back and demand that the first one stands, but yeah, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to leave you lot to clear that up. I'm, I'm staying out of it. <laughs> I did my best. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So that's that's all for the main part of the podcast. Thanks for everyone who's uh, joined us uh, to listen. I hope you'll be back to listen to the next one in about a week's time. Thanks to everyone who's contributed. You can also go to the website www.failedcritics.com where Ask is going up pretty regularly at the moment. Um, Yeah, including a new series, by the way, which is sort of a spin-off from the decade in film, which is just looking at horror films from each decade. So we've done the 60s. We'll do one a week, so the 70s will be next, and the 80s... Um, right up until Halloween, and, and, of course, and I believe Matt suggested a, a, a new kind of spin-off as well, hasn't he? Today, um, which yeah, um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know <laughs> if that one's going to be getting off the ground. Um, we'll let you know if it does. No, a, de- a decade in yeah. porn is quite a bit. Although James, what did you write in your email to me earlier? The noughties. The noughties. <laughs> as in the the yeah. noughties. Yeah. In a very nice. carry-on stuff. <laughs> I, th- I thought I thought we could call it if we did do it, and it'd be no reflection on Matt. But a decade in porn, a wanker's journey. <laughs> we won't be doing it, but that's that we'll yeah. bear that in mind, shall we? <laughs> yeah, but uh, and uh, you know, answers on the postcard. If you've got a good idea for that, you know, a title for that 
um, if we do decide to ever do it, the title for that series. <laughs> I can't stress enough. <laughs> we, we will not be doing that. Yeah, but I want to hear people's really like witty and funny ideas for a title for that for that series. If we ever, you know, hypothetically, if we were going to title it, what would we title it? Tweet us an answer. It'd be great. Okay. Uh, yes. After this, after this very quick break, we will uh, uh, be doing our spoiler alert for Gone Girl. Yeah, spoiler alert then uh, for Gone Girl. Um, we've already reviewed the film, of course, and all praised it and all said it's worth watching. But here's where we pick apart the film in a bit more detail and um, going through the plot in a bit more detail. Um, main gripe, I think, for me and Owen is, is stupidity. I think. <laughs> The yeah. Okay, let's hear some examples. Then. Well, well, the the police for a start. Okay. Uh, other than the, other than the, the the main woman police detective, yeah, she, who was who seemed quite on the ball. Um, Got a bit of a Fargo thing going on with her as well. Yeah, I like yeah. that. Yeah, um, but every you know her partner and the police, the male, you know, um, Ben Affleck's character says to her at one point, if she was tied up, how did she get the box cutter? He's just like, like just get over it. It's like, no, that's a really good point. How did she get that box cut if she was tied up the whole time? Why don't you look into that and do some fucking police work? Well, his boss did try, to be fair, did yeah. try and push that, and then the FBI were like, back off, we've got this whole case solved. And I can, I thought that was all, I thought, I'll be honest, I thought that's believable in a, in a movie. I, I think that comes under movie. movie believability. Yeah. And also, it's okay. it's uh, talking about the fact that um, the media circus, everyone, you know, being, you know, it fits their narrative. The fact that she got kidnapped and came back, everyone's really happy that she's not dead. It fits their narrative. It's easier not to ask questions. I, I think you can file that one under that. That's what happens in a movie, personally. Yeah. Oh, the police are just happy to get this yeah. one crossed off the board. Yeah. Kind of thing. That's basically what they were trying to say. I think, which again was part of the more satirical point of the film yeah. in you know dealing with media and also or, <laughs> when they or, when yeah. they found this is on the police one this is Ben Affleck and his sister when they right. when they found the shed full of stuff why didn't they go to the police straight away rather than yeah. let the police find them and arrest his sister see that okay. is stupid and that's one of the things that I, I was watching I was thinking you just wouldn't yeah. keep and the it police, the, poli- the police it, know just... that all this stuff has been bought so if you yeah. if you don't tell them, you look like you're hiding something. So surely you whatever thing you go looking at, I found a shed full of shit in my sister's house. Um, I can be, I can believe that you know after a certain amount of time when you haven't told the police, then it's probably easier to sit on it and not tell them because you think oh well now I've been withholding evidence. But then when he has been found to be withholding evidence. That's just it, really. He gets taken into the police station for a bit and then let go, and that's the, the last of, of it. So I don't think that bit was believable. However, I did just make this point to James. Yeah. Some of the stuff that's unbelievable or is stupid or some of the characters that make really dumb decisions or ignore things that are really obvious, um, then it is a movie, and if people did behave like normal people or... You know, in a 
realistic, realistic way, not movie realistic way, you wouldn't really have a very yeah. good film. I, I think you've got to remember it's quite a pulpy novel that it's from. It's not a, it's not a piece of high kind of art. It, it yeah. is it is a pulpy page turner thriller uh, that it's been uh, adapted from, and the film itself is part of a a, a kind of a lot. Its ancestry is films like. The Paul Verhoeven, uh, Joe Estehazer films like uh, Basic Instinct, um, films like Sea of Love, films like Fatal Attraction, and these kind of the, uh, films like Malice as well. Yeah, the that's where we're kind of going. And it is a for me, some of the criticisms have been like if someone watched a horror film, a slasher film, and complained about the fact that a young female ran to the top of a building instead of like going out and getting into a taxi or something. Yeah, it's the do you know what? That's what happens in these films, uh, and, and, and exactly, yeah. and and yeah. and I'm not saying it's not a valid. It's not valid for someone to say, "Well, that took me out of that moment." I I get that, but for some people, they'd be like, "Well, that's exactly what I expect to happen in a film like this." And as you said, Owen, if everyone acted sanely uh, and sensibly. <laughs> There wouldn't be a film here in the first place. Well, exactly. And you could You'd never have the person who walks down the he wouldn't have the insane asylum corridor. And then he wouldn't, yeah, because <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, let's be honest, if everyone's acting sanely, you're not going to cheat on Rosamund Pike, for example. You know, <laughs> <laughs> these issues. Um, but I, no, I do get that there, there are moments where it does stretch your credibility and you do have to, you do have to buy into it. Um, and that's exactly. the moment so that's where like, you, if you've bought into it, brilliant. If you if you're struggling to buy into it, that's the moment that your credibility will snap with it, and you might not enjoy it as much. Yeah, but the the problem with it with having stupid decisions mm-hmm. in it for the well for the sake of being a yeah. movie and having and, excited, twisted, yeah. turning things is the fact that it spends an hour being quite serious. Yeah. It spends. Uh, it's probably an hour. I wasn't really. I clock think you're about right. It, it feels about right. It's about fifty minutes yeah. an hour, or something like that, where it's treating itself as a very um, serious drama, yeah. um, a mystery. The way that they use the Rosamund Pike's diary, yeah. when you believe it as real, yeah. um, as as an account of actual events that have happened over the period of was it six yeah. years, six or seven years. Because it's their fifth wedding that anniversary, is brilliant. so it's a couple of years before that as well, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, okay, yeah. So then, you know, it's... um, it, That that is it's fine. And then it has this huge twist tonal change. where for about yeah. five or ten minutes, I was just sat in the cinema thinking, what have they done? Why, why are they doing this? Why is Rosamund Pike suddenly driving around a little shitty car with the sunglasses on, throwing shit out the window? It's just... that I couldn't believe they I, did that. I, I didn't I didn't mind that bit. I thought, you know, her trying to stitch him up and um you know, get him sent down for murder because he's a bit of a shitty husband was you know, I thought her mo she's I thought yeah, she's fucking mental, but I thought it was yeah. quite a good twist. The the twist I thought was ridiculous and, and a bit stupid was, was when she killed Desi and went back to... When she killed Barney Stinson. Yeah, when she, killed, when she killed Barney Stinson. <laughs> and I feel a bit hard. It felt a little bit like um, Neil Patrick Harris, who I like and I think he's really good in this. But it did feel a little bit like he was playing Barney Stinson without the laughs. It was this rich guy with a <laughs> fancy apartment yeah. and, <laughs> and all the... And, you know, he can talk 
you can talk French literature and stuff like that. Oh my god, this is Barney. What's going on? But yeah, yeah. When, when the moment she kind of killed him and went back to to her husband covered in blood, that was where it got a bit dark for me. I didn't mind the twist of her kind of you know coming up with this plan to having sent down for her murder and, and disappearing like that. Mm. See, again, I loved that bit. That was that was the mental femme fatale. Yeah, again, that there's a great lineage, and that's when I think Rosamund Pike was doing a lot of her best work in the film. I'll be honest, and I, and I kind um, of like the fact that her you... her character, obviously, when she went to the um, where was it? it wasn't the motel? It's kind of that place out in the woods with the yeah, the, that's it. it when, when, yeah. when it was obviously the cabins, yeah, when it was kind of obvious mm. that all right, she can't do this great plan, but she was obviously a bit too inept to carry it off properly and was getting caught out and run it and yeah. lost her money. I thought that's great because her character is obviously he had an affair, but she's just a massive twat. <laughs> and yeah. but the, I don't think <laughs> neither neither person's really kind of made there's, out to be. No. There's not really entirely at no. She, yeah, there's not really a great they're, person they're, they're, apart from the cop, the yeah. female cop. I don't, she's like I don't think the yeah, two the one. I, yeah, I don't think the two central characters are meant to be likable. No, because because one is an adulterer and one is a massive twat. Yeah. Um, well, that, she she and she's proper psycho. So yeah. Let's, let's be very very clear yeah. about that. Um, that I, I just want to say before we said spoiler alert, the moment that she gets that box cutter across his throat and gets covered in that was the moment my entire cinema went <gasps> what the fuck kind of thing. That was. <laughs> Yeah, that was pretty dark. It felt like something from a completely different film, didn't it? Yeah, it did. It did. But I think it still felt like it was from the same director, if that makes sense. It didn't feel completely out of step. And and, and like I say, I loved that tonal shift. That bit halfway through where it kind of fades to black. It was almost like that first hour was like the uh, the pilot of a television series almost. Um and you could maybe see this going on for 10 episodes. And it ended. And then at the start of episode two is her driving, doing her film, Thelma and Louise thing on her own kind yeah. of thing. I, yeah. I, I really liked the way that shift happened. But like I say, I can also see why that would... If you were really, really invested in that first part of the film and you wanted the rest of the film to be like that, I could see why that would also really massively annoy you as well. Yeah, it did. It really annoyed... It was the tone... I mean, I got back yeah. on board with the film eventually. But it knocked uh, you off your stride thought, oh, well, a bit, yeah. It. It's a stupid twist, and I hate this thing that's happened, but actually, it's still quite entertaining. And then, as, as, obviously, as it went on, it, it, it was still quite good again. But it's just that, that moment, I lost, yeah. I, it lost me yeah. for a little while. Um, I, I, I just was, and when I was talking about the different endings, I, I still, part of me still thinks the bit where she walks back to him covered in blood and he just whispers in her ear, you fucking bitch or something. Fucking bitch. <laughs> I, I kind of wanted it to end there, actually. And I thought it, for a second I thought it was, then we had a bit more, and then it was like three weeks later, five weeks later, seven weeks later, and I, I, it's a really cynical ending, isn't it? It's yeah. really kind of like, oh my God, they are going to stay together. For well, well what, the... what do you think her motivations really were for going back, though? I mean, did you do you think she really saw him on TV and thought, okay, no, he... He actually does love me, and he understands I, me. I think, or was it just for sort of the only way she could get? I, it I thought it was a little bit calculated. I think it there was a calculated. Oh, do you know what? He can still play a role in my life, but also at the same time, she had gone down such a dead end. She could never. She would never be able to. 
I think she realised that she could never go out in public again. She could never. I think you know, she partly realised she was a prisoner I think, essentially. I think she partly realised as well the biggest punishment for him would be for me to stay with him. Possibly, yeah. Rather than having sent down for murder and you know death penalty in that state, yeah. if I stay with him and you know for eighteen years or whatever while a child's being raised, yeah, that's going to be fucking hell for him. Yeah. Yeah, no, quite possibly. For me, my one criticism, I think, around her character, actually, was I still don't quite believe that jump from he slept with... He's having an affair with someone. I'm going to go to these lengths to destroy him. That still felt a little bit... Yeah. yeah. Even though the bit with Scoot McNary was pretty good. I thought he was very good again. Yes, yes. seems to be in everything these days. But he was pretty good. But it was... it was. It didn't seem much of a catalyst, no. did it? Really, it was um, just sort of one of these things no, that came out of nowhere and was another excuse for the film to have a twist. But then you kind of hear more and more about her past, and you kind of realise that she is an un- unhinged person. Yeah, so and it, yeah, and you're right. It does make more sense, and again, it makes perfect sense in the history of these kind of sensual, stroke, erotic thrillers. Uh, you know. It, it it's certainly less ludicrous than Basic Instinct, and and far better put together. As much as I love Basic Instinct as a film, I, I think this is no, yeah, I, hate I know, it. I know <laughs> it. Um, but I, I think this is yeah, this is a far more mature. Uh, it, it's got so much more going on there, but at the same time, it shares a lineage with Sea of Love, Basic Instinct, Fatal Attraction, uh, yeah, a number of these films, um, and and when you look at it in that context. Yeah, it makes sense pretty much all the way through. But like you say, if you if you've taken the first hour a bit like a film, which I've not seen, but I've heard about like prisoners, yeah, this goes on a very very different path from about halfway halfway in, I imagine. Yeah. And um and yeah, that that can be quite jarring. Uh, like I say, I I was on board with it, so I I I fully fully reveled in it. To be honest, it was it's a lurid horrible cynical film and it made me feel dirty and i loved it <laughs> really really it reminded me a little bit of the the paper boy but a, a much better better film but that one with um uh nicole kidman and matthew mcconaughey that was out in, about the deep south serial killer that i saw yeah. just that's a really good film have a look at that if you do see it but this was just i really enjoyed it but yeah weird and I'm still thinking about it actually, uh, and that's always a that's yeah. always a good sign, isn't it? Things. It definitely, definitely is. I mean, I, I was still thinking about it the, the next day, and kind of changed my opinion a little bit. I was a bit, dis- I was still reeling from that twist. After it has to be said, when I came mm. out of the cinema, um, I think the first thing I said to my wife was that was really stupid. But it, 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 as, I, as I thought about it a bit more. It did grow on yeah. me, and you know, like I said, not a bad thing for a yeah. film to make you think about it before deciding whether. Yeah, you're definitely. Well, uh, yes, that's it for spoiler alert, and finally the end of the podcast this week. Um, as we already said, uh, thanks to everyone who's listened, and hope you'll be around for the podcast next week.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.